there, and welcome to the Prickly Things Podcast, the show where we are open and honest about everyday life in hopes to empower, motivate, and inspire you. So listen close, because we all love a good story. Happy Thursday, everyone, and welcome to our DACA series here on the Prickly Things Podcast. This is your host, Sandra Camacho, and I am so happy that you guys are joining me once again in another DACA series episode. If you guys are listening to my show for the very first time, welcome, and I hope you guys stay and subscribe to the podcast. Also, follow us on Instagram at the Prickly Things Podcast and check out the pictures and videos from my guests. And today on the show, I have the honor of speaking with an awesome guest. Joining me all the way from Chicago, Illinois, I have Mari Cedillo. Hi, how you guys doing? Hi, I'm so happy to have you join me today. How is everything going in Chicago? Everything's going good, you know, working, busy. I know it's it's crazy that it's almost the end of the year and it's so hard to believe going into September because that's the last like stretch, like you're getting into the last quarter of the year. Uh, how did you feel about this year? Has it been going fast for you too? Well, it was a crazy ride, honestly. Um, had a lot of things happen regarding uh, my immigration status. Really? And, yeah, but it, they were good things. Don't get me wrong. Okay. But, um, yeah, it was it was a crazy ride. It was a big year for you. That's good. Yeah. Well, I'm so curious and I'm so excited to have you join us today on this DACA episode. And as uh, I welcomed everyone who might be new to the show, um, today we are... Um, having this podcast be on the DACA series. And so um, this is a a series here on the show where I get to meet with other DACA recipients and share stories. You know, as I mentioned to you, it's crazy how through sharing, we realize how common we are and how similar we are in so many different ways. You've listened to the podcast, right? You've listened to some of our stories. Yeah, I've listened to some of your stories, like um, the Adelita sisters and a few others, and they were pretty good. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much. And you've also been in other um, podcasts yourself. Yeah, I've been in a few other podcasts before. So you know what you're doing. I'm super excited. I'm glad that you've, you know, shared your story in so many different other platforms. And I'm I'm really, really honored to have you be here with me today. Um, And so to start off and kick off the conversation, let's start with talking about DACA, because as I mentioned, a lot of people still don't know much about the topic or what it is. So let's begin with a brief introduction of what DACA is. Would you be able to help me with that? Yeah, you know, DACA was created in June 2012. It was a program that was created through executive action by uh, former President Barack Obama. And it helped a lot of, you know, young and documented kids have the availability to get a job, you know, legally drive, fly within the United States, or in some cases, you know, request advance parole. Um, it also gave the opportunity to go to school, go to college, you know, make your, your degree usable for the most part. Yeah, it's an opportunity. And as much as we all say how great it is, how awesome it is for all of us in the program, it's still something that is debatable current in times. Like you said, 2021 has been a very 
big year, and especially for all of us in the DACA program, given all the changes that has come with the program, the recent DACA update that happened in the month of June, was it June, July? Yeah, just about. Yeah, and it's just been a roller coaster. The roller coaster keeps going, like the ride, we're still on that same ride of like the ups and the downs, ups, and so much talk about this new possible bill coming through from the White House. And, you know, the committees are meeting, you know, they're having conversations about a potential pathway to citizenship. How do you feel about that? I'm very excited, you know, because it's something that our parents have wanted for for us, you know, as their kids is to be able to prosper, um, to do better than they, they have done so far. Um, and I think that would really be a big help towards that, you know. Yeah. If it does come through and we're praying and hoping, and it's just kind of a gand, like we're pawns for things like this every single time. I think we've been in the hot seat several times throughout different years. years. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's kind of like, like we talked about, you know, the DACA, what is it? The Dream Act. The Dream Act was the initial kind of like, that's where the word dreamer comes from and everything. And so that was like, 20 years ago, that that came into the conversation. And it's so hard to believe how much time it has passed but nothing has come through yet like ah it's frustrating yeah it definitely is you know it's um we've been in limbo like I just said you know for nine years so and even some of us longer than that you know since we came here at that point um so really it's about time to say you know enough is enough Yeah. And joining me in this awesome uh, chant of like, you know what, we deserve better. I'm super excited to ask you, um, how old were you when you came into the States? I was about five and a half, six years old. So I was old enough to understand that I was here, you know, as an immigrant. Really? I didn't word at the time, but I already knew that, you know, in Mexico anymore. (laughs) How was that transition? So where did you grow up in Mexico? I grew up in Romita, Guanajuato. That's where <gasps> my entire family is from. Okay. Do you remember much from it or no? Yes, I actually do. I remember um, some bits and pieces, mostly my grandmother and my grandparents, you know, like I said, my aunts, uncles. I remember all, pretty much all of my family. I might have forgotten their names. But my mom still, you know, was still like, this is your your cousin. He's your daughter from so-and-so, you know. So uh-huh. it was, that was like never closed off for me. We always were talking about it. So even oh. now, I still know. Yeah, that is so sweet. And I mean, being five, five and a half, almost six, that's still very early in your life. And you know how, like, I went through school and they told me like the first five years of your life are the ones to define who you're going to be as a grown up. And I'm like, to go through a transition during that time from like one country to another, you're not only taking yourself out of your own environment, but you're going into a new culture, new language, new school, everything hitting you in such, like at a such critical stage in your life how did you handle that transition it was it was a little tough at first you know not understanding the language um I was in Mexico I had just or was about to graduate kindergarten 
So when I came to the U.S., they put me in first grade and they're like, no, you're not, you know, like they told my mom, they're like, your kid's not that advanced yet for the academic levels here in the U.S. We're going to have to put her back in kindergarten. Yeah. As you're telling me, I'm thinking of that beam from like uh, Kevin Hart. No, she wasn't ready. She wasn't ready. (laughs) Exactly. So they put me back in kindergarten and yeah, because I think during first grade like a lot of the kids obviously that were here before me or even were born here already knew English they were already advanced in that right specific you know topic of school so they're like yeah you know maybe you should go back and learn (laughs) from the baby steps like the basics like start at the basics kindergarten so you kind of got held back a year in school yeah Okay, how do you feel about that? I mean, at the moment, I didn't understand it, but then I was like, you know, the older you get, the more you're like, yeah, that was the better choice, you know? Okay, so you agreed with that. Well, I I think so too, but I think, I don't know, something about it, it's like having to start over, and I don't know, did you like school while you were little? Oh, no, and I still don't. (laughs) Really? So school was already a battle, and then having to repeat the grade I mean for some people that kind of like I know if I would have been in that situation I would have been devastated like are you kidding me you're making me repeat something that I already went through especially if I didn't like school yeah no just math has always been the worst subject out of yeah no Really? Okay, well, and then, well, that's fine, because at the same time, you were trying to learn the language, you're trying to get used to the environment. When you came from Guanajuato and came into the U.S., did you settle in, or did your family settle in Chicago? Yeah, we, uh, we've we been here since we've, we've come into the U.S. Wow, how did you like Chicago? Because that's a huge, I've heard it's a really big city. I've heard it's really diverse. Did you experience all of that? Well, I remember the first after we ended, you know, our whole travesty crossing through. The first thing I remember is going on a car ride with my mom and my stepdad, which is the person who paid to get us over here. Uh-huh. And um, we went to McDonald's. And I got so, so sick from no oh I thought from the food I was like damn no I threw (laughs) up in the car because I was not used to every time yeah every time we we in Mexico we would take bus rides or anything I would always throw up so I was not used to the you know the motion of the car moving and I threw up that's what I first remember (laughs) how did you like the food was McDonald's good were you excited as a five-year-old to go eat at McDonald's well, I didn't know what it was. So I was kind of like, Lame. I just ate it, you know? Yeah, it was any, yeah, it was the same. Okay, good. But at least like you still went through, you have a memory, right? To tie it back to like, this was you coming into America. I don't know about that memory being uh, really exciting because you're already getting sick, well, but I it's do, okay. I do remember the McDonald's toy that I got though. It was uh, a rocking horse with the Dalmatian on top of it. And it was oh. maybe a hundred and either a hundred and one or a hundred and two donations. Uh-huh. And uh, I kept that toy for like a good 19 years. Wow. That was a toy that you should have framed. Like that's one of that those you keep. That was my first toy from America. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. That is special. Oh, I hope you do still have it and you find it because 
I don't know. <laughs> I know that is that's this really special, you know, toy or like attachment to that story. Um, and then proceeding, you know, being here, were you the only child in your family at the time? At the time, yeah. 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 Okay. So you had to learn everything by yourself. Your parents are also adjusting. How did your parents handle the change of the transition? My stepdad was already here for a couple of years, so he was pretty much settled. But my mom, you know, having to relearn everything, and obviously she doesn't know the language even to this day for the most part, you know. But I think for her, was mostly, you know, worried about me adjusting to meeting new people like in the family, you know, like my new cousins, my new uncles, aunts. So um, you had family here. Yeah. Yeah. It was from them. Oh, from that's them. good. I think having family coming into the States is like a blessing. And I say that because I came in and we had no family. Like my mom said goodbye to her family. I've never met my uncles, cousins, tias, tios, family that, you know, like, you know, Hispanics have lots of family (laughs) you know we feel like a whole family tree of like people but I've never met them like maybe when I was little when I lived over there but I have no idea who they are now and coming into the states I think that was what made the difference in my life of being lonely I can that word will forever be how I can describe it being here in the U.S. It's very lonely when you don't have that family attachment but it was different for you because you had your uncles, tios, tias, and you were learning to meet them and and bonding with them. That's really cool. So at least being here growing up, um, you went through school. Did it take you a long time to learn English? Mm, Yeah, from what I remember, mostly watching, you know, the English TV. (gasps) Do you remember what you would watch, like, on the, the cartoons, like your favorite cartoon? Arthur, Kai. Oh, yes. Thank you. All PBS kids. Like, if anybody out there listening ever watched, and I think I can name a few, Arthur, Word Girl. I don't know if any, I'm such a Word Girl fan. I don't even know if people know who she is or what that is, but hey, I grew up watching her. Caillou, um, the Berenstain Bears, I think. Um, They had a cartoon on PBS. Sesame Street, all of the cartoons that would air like on because I didn't grow up with cable. So I don't know the other like Cartoon Network cartoons, but those that were on TV, like on the PBS channel, I was hooked. And that's how I Clifford, they're making Clifford. a movie on Clifford. How do you feel about that? Definitely excited. I really that was one of the shows I used to watch as well. I know. And, uh, another show that I did get to watch while it was still on air before it got canceled if I'm correct, it was uh, the show on PBS. It was called Zoom. Yes, I, I, <laughs> I remember that. And it was all like kids, right? It or like teenagers. Shapes, yeah. Doing one. kind of like experiments. And they would be <laughs> dressing up like in, in weird uniforms. I do remember. I don't remember the concept of it or what it was, but I do remember watching it. And like they would do like activities, right? Yeah. Okay. There all kinds of things. Yeah. All right, cool. Cyber Chase was also another one that I liked. I still watch it. <laughs> it's still on? Yeah. No way. Yeah. Oh, wow. I feel like that was like my Powderpuff Girls version in like the PBS 
world. Yeah, that's another one I watched and um, totally spies. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. Um, that was on Cartoon Network. Yeah, see, I didn't grow up with Cartoon Network. And I'm like, damn, I missed out on the other stuff. But PBS Kids had a lot covered, like education, like language. Every, I think I was obsessed also with another one with the dog, Shiloh. I think it was Shiloh. And it was a dog, like a real life dog. And then it was like a real life cartoon storyline. I don't know. It was really cool. Um, but yeah, I was hooked. And that's how I felt like I learned English. And also by reading books. I don't know. As a little like second grader, third grader, did you read a lot of books? Yeah, I did. And it helped a lot, you know, throughout my school years, because I think by the time I was in high school or near the finishing line of high school, my reading levels were already college levels. <gasps> wow. Well, yeah, you know, we we kind of, I don't know, I feel like reading is a gateway to not only like exploring, but also like yeah learning and like catching up to speed especially as us as we're learning a second language I think English was the best I mean reading was the best way of like it's developing yeah yeah developing those skills and um I do remember reading a lot of Junie B. Jones so those books will ever be so nostalgic to me I'm not sure if you ever read those actually no I didn't read Junie B. Jones I read Goosebumps Goosebumps okay so it's in the similar yeah yeah. Similar category. Oh, I don't think I've, I don't think I ever read a Goosebumps book. I really don't. Uh, I know about them, but I don't think I read about them, but that's cool. All right. So as you went through transitioning into school um, as a kid, as a child growing up in the American school and everything, being aware of the transition you've made going from Mexico to the U.S., how was it explained to you about your immigration status? Was that ever a topic of conversation in your early childhood life? Well, yes and no, because, you know, by the time I was that age, I already knew, like, I was already able to comprehend, like, hey, you know, the streets look different, you know? Like, when right. you go outside, oh, it doesn't look like in Mexico anymore. So I already knew, like, we were somewhere different. Mm-hmm. I was already aware of my immigration status at that point. Really? So it was something that was never kept from me. It was just, uh, as I started getting older, I was like, okay, so I started understanding more of what it meant, but it was never hidden from me. Like, you know, like I hear a lot of kids like never been told till like they're 16 or anything. I'm like, no, I still remember when I crossed. Mm -hmm. So I know that, you know, I was not, I was in a different country. I was already aware of that. Okay. And so um, were you open about it with other people, maybe other kids, other people that you hung out with? Well, like most parents, they're like, don't say anything. If anybody asks you, you're born here. Right. Like, no digas nada. No sabes nada. (laughs) (laughs) And if they would ask, you know, like, yeah, I was born here, but I already knew. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, whatever. (laughs) That's really it. And how did that impact you coming into terms with being open about it? Like, because sharing your story as we are right now, it does take some type of, you know, courage because for like what you're saying and how I've stated and other people on the podcast and other people in our situation that are listening have felt that it's something that we are afraid to share because we don't know how people are going to react. And because all throughout our lives, similar to your parents, we've been told, don't say where you're from. 
people don't need to know. You don't need to be disclosing everyone, uh, disclosing to everyone that, you know, you weren't born here. But at that point, it's also casting some type of shadow over us or some type of like, you know, it's a big secret. Don't tell anyone. How did you become comfortable with being open about it? It wasn't as difficult for me to say, oh, yeah, you know, this is going on with my immigration status. I was like, I wasn't born here or anything. Um, and mostly because my community is predominantly Hispanic. Okay. So it was like when somebody would say, oh, yeah, you know, I wasn't born here. It would be like, oh, yeah, cool. That's it. You know, because we were. No big deal. No big deal for the most part. Okay. It would kind of get more complicated when you would be surrounded with a community that was more like uh, Anglo, you know. But even then, you would know the people you could tell and you would know the people you couldn't. Right. So that's that's always intuition. And that's always something that um, we've shared here on the episodes that, you know, you want to be comfortable with the people that you tell this information too so yeah you have to be careful and be knowledgeable of your surroundings because as you're telling me other people that look like us that are in our community that are in our you know culture it might be easier to disclose and say hey yeah this is happening to me and like you said it's no big deal because people are used to it but then other people in other situations like that you may not know that well or that are in different cultures races economic status just people completely different from you may or may not react the way we expect them to. And so that's where it's like, you have to really take your time to be in a very safe space where you can disclose this. So yeah, definitely. I think a lot of us can relate to that aspect. And um, coming into high school, uh, that's usually the time where all of us and, you know, are hit with, you know what, this is going to be harder than we thought. Because as we know, hey, yeah, we're not from here, coming into terms with it was what made it real in high school. Do you feel like that transition happened with you? Um, I feel like my community is predominantly Hispanic. So in my high school, is more the population is more Hispanic than it actually is white or African-American. Oh, wow. So I want to say there may be like the white community is mostly like either one or two percent, three percent might be, three or four percent might be, you know, black or any other um, nationality, but it was mostly Hispanics or Central Americans. So it was never something that was, it was actually openly discussed in our school, like, hey, this is, you know, if you got the situation going on at home where you're undocumented or, you know, in need of assistance for a not documented individual that you know of, please come see us at the resource office. Wow. They created that safe space for you guys. Yeah. Oh, that is so great to hear. Oh, shout out to that school, wherever that school is. And, you know, I hope that it has continued and that people still have the opportunities to be open about it because this is new. I didn't know that, you know, they were that open in classrooms and schools and supportive. I didn't have that support growing up to hear that you did. That's super awesome. Yeah. Like um, now it's my, my youngest sibling's first year. She's a freshman in there. And she said, yeah, they still have all those programs. So 
outreach resources, whether it be for medical, it be for school-wise, or, you know, sometimes, I think now she said they added, um, they have uh, some sort of legal counsel aid where that can help with, you know, certain immigration things going on or them having to apply for, for FAFSA or if they don't qualify for FAFSA, they're like, we got in-state tuition. Wow, so many cool things that a lot of us don't know and still don't know because we're not informed. And that's the scariest part. When you don't know, you well, don't know just, where to ask. Yeah, not just that, but some of us are already out of high school. So it's not like, you know. We can go back and get these yeah. resources that are available to some and not others. But that is, I mean, at least the help that is provided to those. Um, definitely take advantage of it. Definitely don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid. And even if it's not something offered in your school, and you know, like if you're listening to this podcast and you know that, hey, there's some schools that are really supportive, obviously um, create that safe space, but ask around, ask yeah. around because they may not be fully advertised, but if you ask around, they may have something where they can provide you a connection or they can start something. I've heard so many people that like, oh yeah, I started a club because I was the first one that inquired about this or I started something that is now still going because I questioned this. So it's always good to speak up and ask. And if the answer is no, well then, you know, but what if you can create opportunities not only for yourself, but for other people? So that's really cool. Yeah, it definitely is. Like I know this year, they created, um, I forgot what it's called, but it's it's something with like like a Hispanic Heritage um, Club or an association that's actually in charge of running a lot of the, you know, like the September 16th holiday they do yeah. in school. They have um, the hallways decorated with Mexican flags, you know. Oh, that is so they, cool. They do the whole thing. They're in charge of all that. And a lot of the programs are also in charge. It's also um like like I said, the legal aid council mm-hmm. and stuff like that. That, that is super affects, cool. That, yeah, that affects, you know, the immigrant community within the surrounding school. And it creates that welcoming environment, like having your school be supportive like this, like it is unheard of. And I'm glad that Chicago is really being supportive and that, you know, they're really, really being diverse and owning that component, even at a school and education level. So, yeah, thank you so much for sharing and um, coming into DACA, because at this point in your story, we're reaching the point where like DACA is about to be announced, has been announced. I want to get and capture that moment for you. Where were you? What were you doing? How did you feel? I remember this was actually during a school day, if I remember when it happened. Um, My mom calls me at the end of the day. She's like, you need to get home now. Because I was waiting for my my uncle that was giving me a, a ride back to the house. And he's like, She's like, oh, she's like, you, you gotta, you know, as soon as he gets there, get in the car, you need to come home. I was like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm in trouble, <laughs> you know? I'm like, am I in trouble or anything? And she's like, no, just come home right away. And then I remember we were sitting at the kitchen, the dining room table, I mean, and Univision was playing and they interrupted the broadcast. 
to say, oh, President, you know, Obama has an announcement to make. And that's when they broke the news. They're like, I'm creating this executive order, you know, on this day. And it was, you know, to help kids like me be able to continue education or get a job. And I was like, my mom broke down in tears. Because she's like, she's like, at least you have an opportunity that we didn't have. And my, my stepdad was on the couch and he was like, yeah, now you can help me pay the bills. <laughs> you know, no. made a joke out of it. Yeah. No. But, you know, he was, he was deep down. He was, you know, excited that something was happening for us. But yeah, he was kind of like, I'm going to break the ice by saying that because we were all quiet for like a good 20 minutes while Obama gave, you know, his speech. But yeah, that was pretty much it. You know, we were sitting at home. We, we couldn't believe it the next day. We were like, when is, this must be a joke. You know, when is it going to be pulled from underneath our feet? And it was so and, good yeah, to believe. Yeah, it was so good to be true. And a lot of people were, you know, obviously they were afraid. They were, rumors started flying around. Like, oh, they can use this information to deport you to all this and that. It, you know, it's understandable. It's a new program that was created out of the blue for the most part when they told us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were scared. But my stepdad was like, no, we're going to be one of the first people to apply. And whatever happens, happens. Wow. Damn. Taking that. That's called taking the bull by the horns and just yeah. doing it. <laughs> yeah, so, um, my first lawyer which is um, when we did my first stock application had, um, what is it called? Had a community meeting, you know, explaining more in depth from what they understood as well, the program. So we went to it and I saw a couple of my friends there. No way, <laughs> but you knew or did you not know? But uh, they were also eligible yeah, I, for I, DACA. I knew some of them and some of them didn't want to, like you said, some of them were scared to say it, that they were undocumented. So I was like, I know you, you're here. Wow. <laughs> Look know? where we are. Yeah, that's so cool. So, yeah, so, you know, once after the meeting was over, he, the lawyer was like, hey, if you guys, you know, want to start filing for the applications, I'll be upstairs in my office, you know, come and meet me. I think we were like the first people in line to go upstairs to pay for the fees, you know. Right away. Room. Like, we're ready. Here's my money. Take it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was like maybe i was like 17 maybe 17 16 right you were right at the age where you're like boom sign me up yeah my step you were eligible at that age yeah you have to be 16 yeah to be eligible to qualify for daca yeah well actually i think i had just turned 17 because my birthday is also in june but it was like the first week yeah. Okay. Like a hop in like the second week or so just a couple it was like ago. happy birthday present to you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, we were, like, huh, trying to get this all figured out, get all the documents, and they're, like, I think my stepdad already had all the documents, which is why we were able to go upstairs right away after the meeting was done. Wow. So, yeah, we applied, and we got my first card in the mail within a few months. It only took a few months to change your life. That is crazy. How did you feel when you had the card in your hands? I cried. I cried. Uh, Mostly because, you know, it was the first time we were going through 
the program, we were, you know, trying to say, hey, like, how many months is this going to take to get? How many weeks, you know, is it going to take for the Social Security Administration to process our cards? It was all new to us. We were like the first people to get it, you know, and in a way it was it was nerve wracking because we were, you know, putting ourselves vulnerable out there, you know, like, hey, this is where we live. This is how much, you know, everything. Yeah. Um, everything about you that you could ever disclose even more because it's not even us like we're minors at the time that we're applying so all of our information and our parents information gets put on paperwork that's submitted to the people that are also trying to take you back (laughs) so it's almost like oh my gosh it is very nerve-wracking and it's so easy to feel doubts of like is this the right thing should I do this and at this point after nine years of DACA still being a program I mean it's just kind of like we did it we got through it and there's so many debatable times like I've mentioned at the beginning but we're still here and thankfully I think that this is still in the long run for for a while right yeah yeah and um another thing that happened was it was during one of my renewals i think it was like the second or third renewal i'm not exactly sure right now but it was around the time where they pulled the daca cards back because of the one-year thing and oh no it was because of the three-year thing you had a three-year card i've heard of three-year card i didn't have a three-year card but this was before they said what kind of cards were affected um i remember that day i was ironically i was at a mcdonald's when i was on my phone and i saw the news daca cards being recalled by uscis because of that you know what your mistake i had never heard of this and i'm like what I think it was because it was very short and they recalled it right away. So that wow. I don't know. Okay, yeah. yeah, because I've heard people receiving three-year cards. And I was like, yeah. I had never, ever in my life heard of a three-year card. Like, how? Yeah, and I no. thought maybe it was a state thing, like maybe per state, because states get to do their own thing. Maybe that's how it happened. But I had not heard of a three-year card. So you're telling me this was a recall because somebody messed up. Yeah, because somebody messed up in the printing process and instead of it being the two years, you know, it said three years. So wow. I, called, I called my lawyer. I, I literally dropped my burger and I called my lawyer. And I'm <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, well, what's going on? And he's like, well, we're trying to figure out too, you know, but it's like, and apparently seems, you know, like I just said, somebody made a printing mistake and wow. a couple thousand people got three years when it's actually two years. And I think it was because at the time they were trying to make it three years, but it didn't fully go through. So they had already pre-made the cards in advance in case it went through. Wow, it it backfired. It backfired. (gasps) No way. They're like, if you received it on this and this day. You're entitled to a compensation. I'm just kidding. I wish. That's more traumatic. That's really traumatic. I know. (laughs) So they're like, they're like, when did you receive your card? And I had gotten it a day before they made the ruling. So it's like my mom says, Por un pelito te salvaste. Wow. <laughs> because I got it 
like literally the, right the next day after I I received the card, they said, hey, we're doing this. We're recalling. Check your All cards, check your dates. And if you received it in the mail by this and this, they, you have to send it back. Well, I had received it a day before. So they're like, no, yours is a two-year card. You don't have to send it back. Okay. So I'm like, huh. Good. The heart attack. <laughs> I know the heart attacks. I know that's the best way to describe every single situation and encounter we get related to the DACA program. It's like we're jumping, like I'm scared. Yeah. Like my mom describes it, like te echan como que un baño de agua fría. Like you're just like startled. <laughs> like what what happened now? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it's pretty much like I said. You know, I. I was like, well, thank God that my card was not affected and that I got it the day before. And uh, so, yeah, I, I called my mom back and I'm like, hey, yeah, everything's good with the card. Because she had texted me too while I was reading the article and I was like, everything's good. I called the lawyer. Everything's fine. So I don't have to send anything back. I was lucky by the fact that even when they did the one year renewal, I always, always got my two years, my two year cards. So I was never affected by those renewals. But I had friends that were affected by the one-year renewal. Wow. And they're like, what do I do now? You know, I was like, I got It's devastating. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, you need to talk to, because we had the same lawyer. I'm like, you need to talk to the lawyer um, and see what you can do. Yeah you know, get an extension or something. And that's when we were, like I said, you know, we were the first people who were still trying to figure that out. And so they're like, no, DACA doesn't qualify for the 90 day extension. That's when we started finding all that out that we were like, okay, well, we didn't know this before. Right. So what do I do when I fall out of status? Yeah. And well, that's when I said, you know, try to send in your renewal. In time, don't miss it. It's on us to make it right. And it's on us to mark our calendars 150 days before. So we send it and we have it ready to go. Yeah. It's installed in us. It's like this thing, like you go to sleep and you wake up. That's exactly filing for DACA. You know what you do. Yeah. And not just that, but, you know, it's every two years, every two years, the renewal date comes. And with that also comes the stress you know, the what is anxiety. The night oh my gosh. Sleepless nights, you know. <gasps> I know. The bad dreams. Yeah. Every two years. You become afraid again. And I don't know to anybody listening to this episode that has ever felt that exactly what we're talking about. And it's so hard to describe because even talking about it brings you back to like that moment. And I've been through four renewals, maybe. And every single renewal, I think, as I get older, becomes even harder because you come to a realization of everything that you can lose if this does not get approved. And now even more if it doesn't get approved in time, because now you're not only concerned, is it going to be approved? Now it's like a time issue, too, because uh, recently I've had other episodes similar and I've shared my own story renewals are taking a little bit longer this year and it's, and not, even, it's not even a little bit it's a lot longer some people yeah are waiting since april and it's already still September. oh my gosh no way oh yeah. no that that i'm so sorry 
my sympathy to everyone who's experiencing a delay. I've been through it myself and it's the worst thing that could ever happen to any of us in the DACA program. And I am so sorry. Hang on there. Um, I've heard so many stories of and people sharing uh, what they've done, even calling a senator has yeah. become an option. And that is what I've heard makes this like process go faster. If that could even be said faster, because if the senator gets involved and that's a way that they can pull the information and, and really help you expedite your application being approved. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've, I'm in a couple, uh, you know, back and immigration groups and they've all been said sometimes they're waiting since March. Wow. It's to current fun. day. Yeah. That is way too long. That is, I thought my, my process I filed within 150 days plus two months of processing after it expired. So that was a good, I thought two months was a long time. I would not, I'd be going crazy right now had it been March and I'm still waiting in September. Like that is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I hear some of these, you know, some of these other kids, they're like, Hey, I just got my approval letter. Now I got to go do my biometrics. When am oh I going to get God. my card by next year? You know? Yeah. yeah. And surprisingly, a lot of us, like I've wondered, like this year for me, they reused my biometrics, which to me, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Why do I have to go put in biometrics every two years? Which it's, it's not a hassle anymore, but it's it, like now that it's made available, like, like, oh, we can just reuse them. Well, why haven't you been reusing them this whole time? <laughs> you know, like why make us go through the same process every renewal like it's so hard to understand that but the way I understood it from when I did one of my renewals when I was already married to my husband was um I asked him about that and he said well what happens is over time in the system as the more we update it you know new new and things going in new laws going in for for biometrics they they said you're it becomes outdated Oh, your fingerprints, they're like, they become, I guess, in a way, like faded. So they're like, now, when we have to rescan the new prints, every two years, he's like, because every two years, when we do maintenance with the program, some, some fingerprints don't make it into the system. Wow, that is really interesting. I had no idea this whole time. I'm like, they're just trying to make it hard on us. (laughs) So I was like, well, that kind of, it makes sense. I mean, yeah, (laughs) it makes sense. And yeah, it's good to question sometimes because you're right. I mean, their systems, I mean, they are a running operation anyway. So yeah, I mean, it makes sense, but I just, you know, realistically, you just think everyone's against you. So they just make it as hard as they can to make it harder on you. They said like, um, if your fingerprints, let's say mine were taken around June of that, that time that I had the renewal, June, July. And they said if by the next two years, it's already, you know, like past June, we can't use those fingerprints sometimes. Wow. And so it's like, we have to send you a letter and get a new one. He's like, but if you're just within a day or two after, you know, the two years in June, we might still be able to reuse them in our system. Wow, that is really interesting. Thank you so much for sharing and asking because the more you know everyone like, and I, myself. I like, why? Yeah, I was like, because I did for one renewal, I didn't have to go and get that right. done. So I'm like, why? I asked them, 
after the two years wore off, I said, hey, how come two years ago I didn't, you know, this and this, and that's when you told yeah. me, because wow. we didn't update our system then. That is really interesting. Uh-huh. Well, and as we're going through, you know, our journey past obtaining DACA for the first time, receiving our cards, going through a few renewals, as you're carrying on with your life, what did DACA do for you? So what opportunities came to you after having DACA? Well, for one, like a lot of other people, I have the opportunity to legally drive. I was able to, well, because at the time when I got driver's ed in high school, I was in between that, signing up and the whole thing. So when I went to the DMV, they're like, you don't have a social security number with us, but you have the permit. But that was okay because it was through the school, you know, so that was fine. Oh, okay. So you yeah. actually went through driving classes in high school? Yeah. So I'm like, <gasps> oh, I got to update it with the new social security. Well, that's good. Oh, that's <laughs> good. Know? You got to live that experience because I feel like a lot of us like in the DACA community felt left out. Like I can say that for myself, like everybody else was taking the driver courses were really popular. Like you're learning how to drive in school. Like they, they let you do all this stuff. But because a lot of us during that time didn't have our paperwork at 16 to get a permit, I felt like I had a FOMO of like, oh my gosh, I'm missing out. I did not learn how to drive till I was 21 out of college. Well, no, like I said, my my state, you know, was very actually welcoming. Yeah, very immigrant friendly. Oh, wow. That is super awesome. So that's why I think it was part of why I was able to, at least in school, get the driver's permit experience and, you that. know yeah experience it but I, it was only available to me through a school and so I think that was the loophole there that it was like okay we can put in you know like zeros for your social security number but they'll be like oh you're going to school so it's okay since you're still a minor I don't know how it worked out but it did and um yeah so they're like yeah you passed your your exam you're good you can take the classes and uh, that was pretty much it for driver's ed. Yay. I didn't get my license till later though, because it took me a couple tries <laughs> to pass it. But uh, hey, yeah. you went through the experience, and that's that's what's cool. Um, any challenges that came in, even through having DACA? Uh, yeah, actually, when I was living with my husband, we were going through a renewal period, and uh, we sent in a renewal in my job that I was working with him actually said, well, we're not going to keep you employed for when you're, you know, you get, until you get your renewal, you're going to have to be let go. Did they, did it expire already? You went through an expiration? Yeah, it was already about to expire. So they're like, yeah, we still, no, nah, we got to wait for your new car. So oh, wow. it was, I was put on leave. I wasn't necessarily fired, but I was put on leave and, uh, I was unemployed for like three months. I waited for the renewal. Wow. So that was tough. It was just mostly him working at the time. And we weren't married together. We were just living together. And uh, yeah, he was like, well, he said, this is what we're going to do until you get your new card. Yeah. Just wait it out. And this was pre-COVID? Yeah. So the delay was like not even related to COVID because as we're getting told now, right now in the, you know, USCIA offices, there's not enough people to review the cases. And that's why there's a backlog. But your delay was pre-COVID. 
Yeah, it was like 2018, I believe. Or did they ever like, say yeah. why it delayed? Uh, no, actually, they didn't say why it was delayed, and I didn't ask either. But I think it had to do with um, we were moving houses at that time, so I think that might have had something to do with it. You know, um, it was just bad timing in our part of the guests as well because we were like it kind of slipped our minds so we sent it in as you know as we as soon as we possibly could but uh i think what did it was yeah i think what did it was the processing time for it because our, our application got taken and accepted right away and then now it was just uh waiting for the biometrics appointment the waiting period is what kills you yeah. because they take their time on it sometimes. But you know what? As you're telling me this, I've heard completely opposite stories of like, oh, I went through a renewal in less than a month or in a month. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Like, I guess it depends on your city, your state. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it factors. Because that, to. Yeah, because at that point, like I said, I had moved in with at the time my boyfriend, my husband, and uh, we were I was in his home state because he's from Rhode Island. So I had moved oh. over there. Oh. And I think that's what it was too. Now yeah. I'm from a different state, you know, a different lawyer. Yeah. So. That was a lot of transitioning to put in an application and to track everything within yeah. your move and talk about the, I'm telling you, the more you grow, the older you get, the harder it is to go through a renewal and I think in so many aspects in this case you were moving keeping up with addresses keeping up with the information keeping up with details it's just too yeah, much and I think I think they were trying to investigate um because when I filed for the renewal I filed it here but I filed it here in Chicago but I said I'm moving I told my lawyer I'm like I'm moving soon can you make it to where it goes to my new state so I just gave him, you know, my husband's address and all that. So I think they were trying to like figure out like, okay, all of a sudden now we got to shift all the paperwork to a different state, you know? Yeah. So I think that's what it was too, because when I got, when I got over there um, to his house, they sent my fingerprints uh, notice, they sent everything there. So it's like having to switch everything. Wow. Well, I mean, yeah changes come with a lot of uh things and part of it putting it in an application and going through daca that's that's something that might have affected but as you're telling me you're transitioning again being in a new state being put on leave eventually terminated from your job how did that affect you like in any way oh, i was getting bored out of my mind i was at the house for three months you know was it just boredom because I felt miserable. Like I yeah. could not even put words into my mouth of how that feeling was of losing right. my job, being dependent on somebody else to provide and just knowing that I was out of status completely for a while. No, it wasn't as much as, um, you know, being dependent on him, but it was more of what if, you know, like I said before, it was the what ifs again. What if, you know, they say, no, your renewal is denied. What if they say, no, your, you know, for your information was handed to ICE. Something like that. I had a lot of 
constant nights where I couldn't sleep. I didn't fall asleep till like three, four in the morning sometimes. And he had come home, he'd be like, oh, you're still awake. And I'm like, I can't sleep. I'm like, I'm nervous every day at all times of, you know, of the day. I'm like, it was more like the mental and anguish and it started getting physical at that point where I was like, I couldn't sleep. You know, I was like feeling tired, feeling groggy. And it was like, my husband was like, you know, was like enough's enough, you gotta go to sleep. You gotta take a mental health day, you know, or something. It's like, but this has gotta stop. Like, this is too much for three months. Yeah. Was it easy to get better? It was, it was easy to get better once I started, you know, get, going outside, getting to know his town. It was like, okay, I didn't feel as, because it was just me over there with his family. My yeah. family stayed here in Chicago. So it was more like uh, I started, you know, getting to know more of his family. And it started being a lot easier, a lot better, because I'm like, okay, I, this is where I live now. You know, this is my home. I started accepting it a little better. But it was more, yeah, like I said, you know, like not having anybody to talk to right away at least that understood it by my husband you know that understood what was going through my head um aside from like I said from just having him that was mostly it and then once you know he was like all right you know we're gonna go out spend the day outside this and that keep your mind off of it for a while yeah yeah that helps yeah. And it's an undescribable experience that I I've shared. And I don't even think I can even put it into words. Like I said, from like what it actually feels like to go through something like this, because like you're talking about it, it's a toll on your mental well-being. It's a toll in your mind where you can't shut off the thoughts of what can go wrong because your hopes, your dreams, your life, everything depends depends on a document coming back to you with an approval notice and that is the worst your your life is hanging by like a little thread of like am I gonna be here tomorrow if I'm am I gonna be over there like am I gonna have to start over in your mind you're trying to like and that's the hardest thing about this process and I think if anybody's listening to this and and has shared an experience and hopefully you don't get to ever experience something like this because it's so hard to go through. I think it's the lack of control. We don't have control of our lives at that moment in time when we're going through this situation, we just want to have a handle on things and we can't. And I think it's that desperation and need to control the fact that, hey, I can wake up tomorrow and go to work. I can go do this. I can be here and not worry if I'm going to be here or not tomorrow. But it's it's that power that gets taken away from us during that process. Do well, you agree? Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, one of my worries was like, you know, if this process doesn't go through, I'm like, are, am I uh, ever going to be able to, you know, fly back to visit my parents? You know, um, yeah. And even when we got married, I was like, you know, we're like, when are we going to go visit my parents, you know? And yeah, it was, it was pretty tough, you know, because like, like you said, you know, you don't know when you're going to get your document, if it's going to be approved, yeah. uh, it just takes a toll on you. 
It's too much to handle, but you saw it through and you're here telling us about it now. And I hope, I mean, yeah, three months is a long time and getting out of it, like you said, being occupied in other things made it easier. Eventually it came in, right? <laughs> yeah, eventually it came in and I was really, I was like, thank God. <laughs> you get your peace back, you get your sleep back. You For get another your, three years, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know for another two years. And then here we go again on this cycle of, oh my gosh, overwhelming feelings and emotions and stress and pain and money. Because to count how much money we've spent on these processes every two years, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm going to be a millionaire off of it, but hey, it is a hefty amount that we spend and that we work hard for to be here it's like a membership if you think netflix is expensive i mean you i mean this membership quote unquote <laughs> is it's like oh my gosh yeah i mean come on like having to gather 495 dollars every two years for some people it comes easy like you said but for others not so much yeah and that added on to like lawyer fees if you file through a lawyer, other fees that, you know, may come with it depending on the filing process. And I don't know that there's any hitting fees, but just, I mean, I've heard people pay lawyers, you know, even for renewals, because at some point I started doing my renewals by myself, which again, I think that enters me into that panic mode of like, oh my gosh, my life depends on this and I need to do this right. I do that to myself because I choose to file on my own. But I was like, I refuse to pay a lawyer <laughs> because a lot of it, it is expensive. I can't yeah. afford a lawyer every two years to file my renewal. No, it is understandable. You know, like you said, a lot of people can't, can't do it through a lawyer. My case was pretty simple, you know, because I, I didn't have any criminal mm-hmm. things or anything like that. Nothing but, has changed. Yeah, nothing has changed. But I still wanted that security because if you actually sign a contract with a lawyer when they do your renewal, at least with my lawyers that I've had with both of them, um, they said to me, they said, once we enter in this agreement that we file this for you, if something were to happen, we are to represent and fight for you. Oh, wow. That's good. That is really good. So that's why when a lot of people are like, well, no, it's not worth it. And I'm like, yeah, you know, sometimes it's not, but at the same time, if you're that type of person that wants to have a security blanket, that's your choice to go. Yeah. And I'm glad that it's offered. I don't think, I think I've done a lot of the DACA clinics and workshops and like free assistance through yeah. lawyers. I don't think I've, and again, and even that was a lot because sometimes they just charge like instead of a thousand dollars, it's 500 for the application fees and the lawyer fees, which, okay, that's doable, but um, even that was a lot. $200 on, on lawyer fees can be a lot. So I've done a lot of the workshops through different people. And that kind of gives you kind of some like resources yeah, of like what to do. But I've never heard that it extends into possibly having representation even after your DACA has filed. Like that's really, that's really nice. That's a good package. Yeah, it does. At least with, with my two lawyers that I've had, they both said the same thing. They said, you know, if they were to send a letter with like an intent to deny or a denial, we'll file a petition. Wow. So they'll they'll help you denial. through it. They're yeah. Like, they're like, 
that's the advantage that a lot of people don't know about but at the same time it's because they don't say it you know right you have to ask and we've said this previously if you don't know and if you're listening to this podcast and you're learning about this now maybe you can ask your lawyer hey how does this work or other people that may know about this because they can put you in contact like now myself I'm curious I'm curious as to how this works because I have never had that partnership with the lawyer to what you're talking about and you know what I've heard about this too uh with advanced parole and that's what fear like that was my biggest fear with advanced parole I never filed it and again fear will prevent you from doing so many things because I spoke to my lawyer I was in school at the time I was like oh yeah study abroad let's let's look into it maybe because of advanced parole which is an opportunity that you can leave the country under excruciating maybe that's not the word but under a certain circumstance, you can leave the country, put in an application, which is called advanced parole. It has to be humanitarian, like um, going through a school program, going through your job or a humanitarian crisis, meaning a family emergency. So you have to meet one of those criterias. When I spoke to my lawyer about it, she was like, yeah, you can put it in the application. I think she described the application being like possibly $360. Yeah, that's how much but- in addition to just putting the application, just know you have to hire me or her, because at that point she was explaining the process. I have to be on standby throughout the whole process in case something goes wrong. So not only are you putting this application, you also have to pay me such and such much money because you can leave the country if you're denied entry when you're coming back. I'm going to need to be there to help okay. you. And that was a hefty amount of money that if studying abroad was my worry of like, how am I going to afford this? Adding on the advanced application and the lawyer fees, I was like, yeah, no, I can't do this. (laughs) And I didn't get to do it. But again, just having that lawyer in standby, it's a cost. Was it worth it? I think so. I didn't do it because I really thought money was out of my reach. But as you're telling me, that is just a cost that it's going to take if you want to get through that experience. Yeah, like um, that's why when they file form G28, you know, they're representing you. And uh, yeah, like I said, we hired we hired this lawyer when we were in Rhode Island and she was pretty good. Uh, we liked her services for the most part. You know, she really spoke through us thoroughly and explained the situation like, hey, like, you know, this is your renewal. This is what happens. You know, you might need to take your biometrics again. It's like, you might not because you move from a different state. So they'll run it from this state now. So I was like, all right, you know, it's not a big deal. Like, I've already been through a couple of renewals before. So <laughs> it wasn't new to me. Yeah. But, but yeah, overall, she was, she was pretty good. The process went smoothly. And... We actually got a renewal pretty soon. That's uh, good. I'm happy. Morning. After going through the other one, you know, it feels like a little bit better to yeah, go yeah. through like a fast run. It's like, okay, good. Um, and as you are coming to, you know, your current time right now, and I know as we opened the episode, you mentioned this year was a big year for you. And I'm so curious to find out what else happened in your DACA journey. What have you been up to? Going to Rhode Island. So are you currently in Rhode Island right now? No, no. We came back in Chicago. We moved okay. here. We wanted to, my husband wanted to move 
here. So he's like, now it's time, you know, for me. So to there get- was another move back to Chicago. Yeah. yeah, but that was actually the easier part because I already had my DACA with me. So okay, I was no renewal with- like pending. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. With. Now it was actually the tougher part. It was um, in 2009. We got married July 20, July 25th, 2019. Congratulations. Uh, thank yeah. you. <laughs> we decided to wait an entire year until June, until my next renewal was due yeah. in, well, in June. So we filed in 2019. We filed for my green card. <laughs> Like drum roll, but yeah, okay, wow, it all together and yeah. total, total, including her fees and everything, was about $1,400. Oh my god, so I was actually on the cheap end. No but way for her services, her application, and the doc application. <gasps> so we were like, All right, here you go, take my money, <laughs> take know? it, take it, yeah, <gasps> so, wow. Yeah, like I said, we uh, into twenty in twenty twenty, my case closed in August, and by then, in October of that same year, my aunt passed away. So that's when he was like, "All right, you know, we'll go meet with your family, this and that." And um, we went for the funeral service. We came back the same day after funeral service. We came. Later in the afternoon, her service was on October 20th. And so we went back to Rhode Island and we're like, all right, you know, we started working for a couple more months. And then he's like, he's like, you know, he's like, I haven't told you this, but I've been thinking about it. And he's like, we should probably, he liked it over here. He's like, I liked it over there. You know, it's like a family was very friendly. It's like, I want to move over there. Oh, wow. Had he not lived in Chicago before? No, no. I'm oh, like, wow. all right, you know, I'm like, that's fine if you want to move. Let's you know? go. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, that was literally, yeah, I'm like, let's go. I'm like, yeah, let me just make a few phone calls, you know, to my family, see what can we can do. So, yeah, we ended up moving. And um, so maybe like May or something, we were already here in Chicago. We had found jobs. We got settled. And uh, by that point, like I said, we already knew that, my case was sent to the NVC. My documents were approved. And now we were just waiting. It was a waiting, waiting period. The longest one of my life. Wow. And, uh, I was at work this past June. It was the end of the month on the 29th. And I had just gotten back, punched back in from taking my break when... I decided to check my email because I had a car accident happen prior to that. Oh my so, god! It was a big year. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like, many things. So yeah, the car was totaled, and you know. Oh this no! I'm so sorry. So I'm like, I'm gonna check. You know, I'm gonna check my email to see if I hear anything back from the car accident people, whatever. And um, all I see, the first email I see, I kid you not, was NVC immigrant visa appointment scheduled and i'm like holy sh- <laughs> oh my gosh they sent that email to me at 3 59 in the morning i didn't check it till 12 30 oh afternoon. my gosh and uh they gave me less than two weeks 
because I had, like I said, I opened the email, I checked all that, and I said, oh, your immigrant visa appointment for so-and-so is on this date, on July 13th, 2021, at like 12.30 in the afternoon. You have to be present at the, you know, the U.S. consulate in Juarez. <gasps> They're sending you to Juarez this year. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, <gasps> oh, I'm crying. You have I'm eight like, years. I'm like, they gave, dude, like I said, they gave me less than two weeks. So, because it in was a pandemic time, year. It what was is going on? Yeah, it was on the 29th when I got it. And then I had to leave on the 8th. Because you have to be there a couple days early for your medical difference. Yeah. And so I'm like, I told my boss that same day. I'm like, I have to go home. I have to call my lawyer. And he's like, because he was already aware. And he's like, what happened? It's like anything with your case. And I'm like, yeah, I got an appointment letter and I have to call my lawyer called me because she got the same letter. And um, I'm like, I think we still have some paperwork or everything to get ready. And sure enough, I got home like around one o'clock and from one o'clock all the way to like 8.30 at night. It was me and the lawyer just going back and forth on Zoom, filling out paperwork. Oh my gosh. But and what were you feeling? Tell me what was going through your mind. Girl, I was so scared. I was like, because that was not my intent when I opened my email. I was not even It came out of about, nowhere. I was not even thinking about it. I'm like, I want to see what's going on with the car accident thing. And I'm like, you know, that's what I wanted to check. And they're like, yeah, no, here you go. This is the first heart attack you're going to get on the day. <laughs> Which is a good heart attack compared to other types of heart attacks we've had. So I text my husband. I was like, hey, we got our immigration appointment. He's like, no way, no way. And I'm like, yeah. So I sent him a screenshot of the notice. And he's like, that's only less than, you know, two weeks. That's what I was like, Again, oh. she wasn't ready. Like, we were she not wasn't ready. ready. We were not ready. <laughs> and so, like I said, that same day, I get home. We spend all that time with the lawyer. And he's like, take my credit card and book the freaking tickets. He's like, because we got to do this soon, given the couple of days now that we have to do and you know the whole thing with the consulate now it's like their visa appointments are split into two for the most part wow. and so we're there for like we were in Juarez for a good two weeks well you can't even start with like we were in Juarez like tell me how did you feel leaving the U.S. I actually have a TikTok where I recorded a video of us like nearly landing in Juarez and um but yeah I put in there, like, after, you know, 20 years of not being able to go, it was emotional. It was, I was a nervous wreck because, you know, the whole thing of, like, what if they say no? What if you're missing document? I know. You know? And for the most part, it was, like, you're going back home, in a sense. You know, you go back to the country. And just seeing everything, how it's changed, how it's, you know, how it's new. It was like, am I? And on the 28th of January, my, my grandfather had passed away. So I wasn't able to see him uh, for his funeral. And 
I feel like in a way it was his doing because it happened a few months after he wanted me to go see him. But because of money-wise, we weren't still able to go to my town anyways. Um, but it was just him doing, you know, just him saying like, maybe next year you can come visit my grave. Oh no. And on the day, actually that same, around the same time frame, my grandmother was already turning three years that she had passed. She, she passed away before him. And uh, we got married on three days before she passed. So that's why it's like three years. Um, so I think it was also, you know, her having a lot to do with it. At least, you know, that was my faith. That yeah, she- your guardian angel's looking out for you. Because I'm like, you know, every time I was down there in Juarez, I was like, please, mom. Looks like what that's what I called her. I was like, help me out and do this and get be here. Yeah. You know, it was mostly it was mostly a stress of the you know, process. And my, the process I had my whole life here. My parents were here, pretty much half of my family was here, and it's like, what are we gonna do if it doesn't go through? if I can't come back. And that's the biggest fear. If anyone has ever experienced just the thought of if I put in this application through my spouse, we all know some of us, because we don't have a legal entry, have to go back to Juarez and file through there. And that means leaving and being uncertain if you can come back. And that is something that even putting it through your head, it's so hard to come to terms with. And that's why a lot of us like myself haven't taken the decision to put in the application because I am fearful of going through that experience. But you did it and you're here today. (laughs) But just going through the process, you were back in that limbo status and mindset yeah, but except except now you know and that limbo status is not like oh you know your renewal doesn't get approved then you can fight for it now it's like if this doesn't get approved you're stuck here you're stuck here <laughs> you know but a lot of people were like oh you know like what was my opinion on Juarez and I'm like first of all I've never been there to say oh you know it's bad or it's good uh, I'm like, I'm going to find that out when I go there. Yeah. And my experience, it was good. You know, Juarez is like any other city. You know, if you mess with the wrong people, obviously you're going to get the wrong outcomes for the most part. But um, it's very quiet. I liked it. Did uh, you get to try authentic Mexican food? Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yes it's so good <laughs> there was a place called uh los pinches tacos oh my and god no way and i think for an order of tacos like between me and my husband it was like 80 pesos which was like cheap considered here which is like 235 for, per taco yeah so we paid like five dollars for two orders of them <laughs> and it's authentic mexican food like oh my gosh I'm getting hungry just talking about it, but yeah, 
um, I, I lived in El Paso, so I'm very familiar with Juarez, not from like me knowing or being there, yeah. but a lot of the people from El Paso um, were coming from Juarez. And so they would talk about, I had friends that would walk across the, the Puente and just be in Juarez for the day and come back and tell me and, and all this stuff. And I was like, wow, that seems really cool. I can't do that. <laughs> uh, but you went to Juarez and experienced Unos pinches tacos. I've heard of them before. They're good. They're very good. It's worth the price to me. And, um, you know, but now getting more serious about it. It's, uh, I remember when we were going actually to Mexico. My flight that we had had a stop in Minnesota. And we get off the airplane, you know, get our, our luggage gets transferred and all that. And we're going to the checkpoint. So Through an airplane? Yes. Like the security or like an actual checkpoint? We went to both. No way. I yeah. have never encountered like a checkpoint in the airport. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was. Well, I think it's because it's an international flight. So they check. Oh, you know? yeah. 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 That makes sense. So, so we're like, okay, you know, we get through TSA. TSA goes fine. Now it's time for us to board the plane. And we get called, our classes get called. And well, there's at the starting port when you first get to the gate, to the airplane gate, there's two CBP officers there. What is that? Uh, Border Patrol. Okay. And then we go in with them everything checks out fine like they didn't even stop me or anything however i was wearing my shirt i said dreamer on it and it had the butterfly it had our logo on it ice actually stopped me halfway going through what and he's like yeah it was a male officer and my husband notices this because he's coming right after uh, right behind me and uh, he says, I want to see your passport. Where's your visa? Excuse then, me? Yeah, he took my passport. He's like, can I see your passport? And I'm like, okay, you know, but I was like shitting bricks. <laughs> you know, because it was ice. Oh, my and, gosh. Um, he's like, where's your passport? I gave it to him. It starts going through the booklet. Yeah. And he's like, I don't see your visa. Where's your visa? And I'm like... I'm like, I asked him quiet. I was in shock. And he's like, or oh, are you? He's like, why is your reason for traveling to Mexico? And I'm like, visa interview. And he's like, oh, he's like, you're a dreamer. You're a DACA kid. And I'm like, yes. You know, my husband, by that point, he has reached us because we were like almost all the way through the gate. And he's like, is there a problem, officer? Like, that's my wife. Yeah. He says, no, just go and check her passport. He's like, are you a U.S. citizen? He asked my, my husband. Yeah, he handed him his passport too. Uh, so he gets it back. He keeps the ice officer, keeps my passport. And he says, well, this is what I'm going to do. He says, my phone doesn't take fingerprints, but it does take pictures. So I'm going to take a picture of you, and I'm going to take a picture of your passport. So we're like, okay, you know, 
gonna happen what for like what is going and, on yeah I'm like oh I didn't gosh. I was so scared like I didn't dare to ask like what for because I didn't want to seem like confrontational and make it yeah. even oh my gosh he's like here you go he hands me back my passport he's like have a safe flight and I'm like oh my god I was you should have seen my face the relief that was in a way it was relief because he's like he's letting me go through the plane and my husband's like yeah he's letting you go through the plane because he's like he's like probably like you're not coming back you know and he's like but that's like we're going to you know an interview he's like we're trying to do things like that way you know and I'm like yeah but I'm still taking breaks you know I told him that as we were walking to to their seats and uh, I was afraid that that was going to show up in my visa process oh my god you know that I was stopped by them or something yeah and uh that's what started again the sleepless nights when I was over there I was worried about that and then I didn't ask my interview officer but it didn't come up luckily so they're like, yeah, everything's good. It sounded like he was just trying to give you a hard time. Because I think so, too. From what you're telling, it was just maybe more of, like, a prejudice yeah. type and it's of like thing. Like my husband said, he's like, I think he singled you out because of your shirt. Of your shirt. Oh, wow. Because other people were going through, and they were just holding their passports up for, like, not even oh five gosh. minutes. And they were, like, passing through with their passports up like that. And he didn't yeah. even stop them to check their visas. Wow. He's like, I think he's single beyond because of your passport, because of your picture. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I think that was it too. Probably a bad idea to wear it, but I wanted to wear it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. No, you don't owe anybody an explanation of anything. Yeah. And the fact that he did that, it's out of character on him because, excuse me, yes, I am a DECA kid. And what? <laughs> what are exactly. you going to do about it? Because I'm on my way to go get my papers. Excuse me. I, if you must know, I mean, no, I'm saying that now, not being in that situation, but girl, you're telling me I was like on the edge of my seat. Like, Oh my God, terrified for you. Yeah. Because he's like, he was very, oh, very wow. serious. And at the end, like when I told him why, why I was going, he kind of relaxed a little bit. He was like, all right, you know, you guys have a safe flight. You know this. That was so unnecessary. And I'm so sorry that it happened because it just killed the vibe of the trip. Like again, it triggered so many insecurities as it is. Like I said, I was already nervous, first yeah, of all. So I know. <laughs> oh my gosh, man. What do people think? What goes through their mind? And I get it. At a security level, thank you for doing your job. But was that necessary? Was that really necessary? But we'll I never think- know. I think he wanted to check, you know, like I said, because of my shirt, he probably wanted to check if I had advanced parole or at least to document oh, my departure. Got it. You okay. Know? So maybe but he I'm was like, doing his the, job. Yeah. I'm right. Like, you said that, you know, this yeah, is it's ways of communication. Right. And the way that you expressed how he said, oh, you're a DACA kid. Yeah. That's already like very off-putting yeah. so and especially from a man in uniform that you know it's border patrol that could easily take you back on a different plane <laughs> and take you home yeah that's scary and I'm so sorry yeah. you experienced that but having stepped out of the plane in Mexico stepping foot in your homeland I could not imagine 
that feeling? The feeling is nerve-wracking because of like what you're going for. But it's also like, I'm back home. Yeah. You know, in my motherland. It was mind-blowing to think that you can just take a plane and go. And walk out of here. And walk out of the airport in Mexico at that point. It was, there's really no words to describe it. Yeah. Uh, You know, seeing all the signs in Spanish and actually have it being the reverse where it's like the little letters are translated to English and the big words are in Spanish, you know, it's the reverse. And it's like, wow. My husband was his first time flying out of the country as well. And I, in a way, I kind of made fun of him for it uh, because it was him who got stopped at immigration checkpoint. Oh no, look how the (laughs) tables turned. And I did say that to him. I was like, oh, now they're going to check you. Now you know what I feel. Yeah, not even because he's good. Like Mexico's not going to deport him back to the U.S., you know? No, they they actually asked him how long he was going to stay there for. Okay. In a way, they were taking it a little bit more serious. Wow. Because of COVID, COVID, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so before... Uh, I remember we were still in the sky when the uh, stewardess was like, hey, before you guys land, we need to fill this out immigration form. I thought it was, you know, being used to it. I thought it was for me. (laughs) And I took the paper and she's like, oh, no, no, no. It's like, you're you're a citizen here. He's like, he has to fill it out. And I'm like, okay. Now this is reversed. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It was like an opposite day. Yeah, so... He's like, now I have to fill it out. And I was like, yeah, I said, you're the immigrant for a couple of weeks. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. I mean, I mean, for a lot of reasons, it might be a better experience than what we actually go through on a day to day. But you know what? Hey, I think it was, it was something that brought him back to this is the reality of, of some sort of what yeah. people do go through. And um, wow. How long were you in Mexico for? We were there for two weeks. Oh my gosh, that was a long time. Yeah, two weeks total. Mostly it was just the waiting period for my passport processing process. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was mostly that because as soon as we got it, we went to forest. Uh, we went to the, the bridge to get it stamped. Yeah. And then we came Oh my back. gosh, the stamp of entry, which is what we all need if we all ever came to the U.S. without a legal entry, that is the definitive factor between you filing for status here in the U.S. or filing out of status in Mexico. And you finally got that stamp. Yeah, and I actually want to go into a little bit more detail about that. Is uh, Once we had my medical done, we had the interview, like I said, on the 13th. So we lined up at the consulate as early as possible and we went to hand in documents, right? That was the first first thing we had to do, hand in the W, W-2 and, you know, the whole sponsor thing and all that. So I remember I was there with the cashier because it's essentially, she's not like an officer yet, but 
she takes all the documents, she goes through them, you know, make sure they're fine. And so they're like, all right, you know, we need the updated W-2s, updated pay stubs that my husband had submitted and the employment letters saying that once we return, if we were approved, that once we returned, we were gonna still be employed. So I handed those documents and uh, my carta de antecedentes no penales. So, and then the Wednesday they had closed for administrative reasons. So I had my appointment, my second appointment was on a Thursday. And uh, it's when you go through the consulate, it's not only a waiting line outside, but it's also another waiting line inside. So we were one of the first people to get there. We got in around eight o'clock. My appointment was not to like, was at seven, supposed to be at seven, but we went in at eight. And so while we were waiting there, the consulate officially doesn't open till eight o'clock anyway. So we were waiting more on them for, to get ready. Uh, so they didn't open up officially until like nine. So we were there till like 12. So from eight o'clock to like 12, one o'clock. And um, like I said, once you go through, you get in line or you can sit, they give you an option to sit in like a couple chairs. And because I was one of the first ones, they're like, all right, we because of COVID, you can't sit on the chairs for too long. They move you up. Oh, wow. So they want to give priority to people that are pregnant, elderly. Mm-hmm. So you understood, you know? And there's no privacy in there in the consulate. There's no privacy. You're hearing people's interviews left and right. No way. They're hearing everybody's thing at the same time. Oh, my gosh. And uh, for us, they had us lined up by first... The first letter of your last name. Uh huh. So my name starts with the C, you know. So I was. You like were one of the first. Three, ones. Yeah, I was like the three or fourth one down the line, and I'm hearing all these cases and people getting denied and people crying. No, and... no. Like they tell you right there and there in person that you're denied. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Did they say like? Do you have an example like a reason why somebody got denied? For example. Yeah, well, this was a longer story, but I'm going to short it for you. It was a couple because it was myself. It was two couple. It was a uh, two couples. It was the first one that went in, and then the second couple, and then myself. So the first couple goes into the first booth because by that point they were they already had people filled out in the other booths. So the first booth couple is like giving out all information that was, first of all, it was unnecessary. They asked them stuff regarding their son because their son was petitioning for them. It was a son-parent situation. And she, the woman, the mother started saying like, oh, my, my son does this, does that. And I was like, my, my, my son crossed through whatever when he crossed. The more she started talking, the more information that the officer was trying to dig. And uh, she was there for a good hour talking with them. Oh, wow. So by the point that me and the other couple that were in front of me, we went through, got our interviews done. That first couple in the first booth was not even done. Oh, my gosh. And in the meantime, while I'm having my interview done, my officer gets pulled aside by the first booth officer. And he says, 
they, they turn off the microphone, but you can still hear it through the slot where you hand in the documents. He says to my officer, he's like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. This lady is talking and talking and opening her mouth, you know, more and more information I'm going through, more than more. I'm questioning things. Questioning things. Oh no. And, um, Dude, I have chills. I have so many chills. And so, like I said, I can hear them and I just pretended not to, but I could hear them. And so he's like, I don't so know what, uncomfortable. You, what do you recommend? You know, he's like, what do you recommend? And my officer says, honestly, I haven't been paying attention because I'm focused on my case. He's like, but he's like, my opinion is if you feel like they're not being sincere or if they're giving too much information, which in the case they were, uh, all you got to do is listen to them and stuff like that. You know, that's what they talk about. They said, you got to listen to them, watch out, you know, for the clues. Red flags or things like that. Red flags. He's like, that's all I can tell you. He's like, but I'm really not focused on what they're saying. I'm more focused on my person in front of me. And so... He's like, but do what you think it's right. That was key word. He goes back to his first booth. He opens the microphone back up. And he says, yeah, no, you're not going to the U.S. Your visa's been denied. Her husband, the lady's husband, started yelling at her. Oh, my god! Right in front on the spot. He's like, if you wouldn't open your big mouth you know we wouldn't be in the oh situation you should have let me talk right there and there <gasps> you should have let me do the talking he's like now nah, you he's like our process and you could possibly end up harming ourselves from getting deported he's like because of mouth you know oh no and they walked out of there she was crying she was in tears and he okay. was angry he was angry he left her behind oh, he walked gosh. first he was angry and the <sighs> reason you know yeah because she said too much did that put you at edge throughout your interview well given the cases were different yeah i was hers was son a petition for her marriage based not really okay but it was more of like yeah the experience yeah yeah don't say a lot of things you know like keep it short and simple right and uh sure enough there was another one that was with my immigration officer before I went in. Cause some of the interviews don't take not even five minutes. They take less than that sometimes. No yeah. way. Yeah. Oh so my they, gosh, that is crazy. Yeah, so, you know, my the case was pretty simple. It was actually another DACA recipient that was in front of me. And uh, he was uh, deaf and hard of hearing. Oh. And uh, his wife was, you know, signing for him. His wife had a eight month old baby. With oh my she gosh. was petitioning for him. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, was asking simple questions like when did you cross? Uh how did you cross if you know? Um and the marriage questions like when did you meet your spouse? When did you, you know, guys get married? This and that, what does your spouse do for a living? He answered all those questions. And like I said, not even five minutes, he was grouped. Wow. They're like, here you go. Here's your 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 green approval, paper, your approval notice. And his wife just broke down into it. I want to cry too. <laughs> his wife was so excited. She's like, you don't. Oh have my to god. Be afraid. 
you know, I was like, <laughs> and they walked out of there, they were so happy. And I think because of him, you know, having issues with his hearing, his disability, he, yeah, he was like kind of not grasping it fully until he got out of the consulate. And I see him through the windows, <laughs> and he's like, he she's showing him the paper, and he's like, you go like this with the oh. paper. <laughs> Oh my god! Like, oh my god! I'm like, I hope I walk wow. up like that too, you know? Yeah. And then there was another. I don't think he was a DACA recipient, but there was another kid in there who started mouthing off a little, <sighs> and uh, he didn't think that it was going to be, you know, such a serious consequence. But um, he said to the officer because the officer asked him, you know, like, hey you're missing your medical results yeah i gave you this opportunity to go and uh, get him to the clinic because the clinic's like within five minutes of the consulate so he's like go get him you know bring him into the front the drop-off window and you'll be all set no the guy was like no but i'm gonna miss my ride you know this and that and then the officer was like it was being difficult he was being a little difficult and the officer was just like shaking his head he's like okay he's like well I can make it much easier for you. They say, okay, they say, entonces no te doy la visa y te quedas en papeles. He said, te niego la visa. No. And he gave him his paper and he was denied. Oh my gosh. It could be that easy uh-huh. to lose it at that moment. Es tanto dinero gastado like, for him just to say, like, no puedo ir porque mi right no me va, me va a dejar. So he's like, yeah, okay. Entonces te la niego y ya te vas a tu casa. Oh my gosh. That is so scary. That is so, 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 so scary. Wow. Yeah, and ironically, my interview was with that same officer. So I was like, oh, hell no. Oh, he's already in the mood. <laughs> yeah. So when I got to him, he asked me, you know, my name, my last name, where I was from, my birthday, and my husband's birthday. He wanted to see our birth certificates, my passport, and it was just, you know, quick and simple on the W-2s. And we got on, we got through that. Fairly simple. And then he starts to question. And here's when I'm like, yeah, this is going to be the make it or break it deal. And he says, I want to know when did you meet him? And how did you meet him? Well, I met him because we got married on our anniversary day. So that's how I remembered it. Yeah. I was like, well, we met in like 2013, you know, this, this day. And he's like, okay. He was writing all this stuff down. Wow. He was writing all the dates down, everything. And he says, okay, what does he do for a living? Because he had, was watching all of my answers on the computer to see if they matched. And he was writing it down on paper too. So everything I said, you know, was checked like that. He was also like, okay, uh, are you a DACA recipient? He asked me if I was a DACA recipient. I was like, yes. He's like, I need to see your cards. And I took, I already knew I was like, I'm precautious about it. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna take my cards with me. And sure enough, he did ask for them. I gave it to him and I already knew I had a lapse of 150 days because of those waiting renewal periods that I previously mentioned. And he was like, okay, 
you have 150 days renewal uh, lapse, what happened? And I'm like, oh, it was just like the waiting periods, you know, when my DACA was approved and all that, getting it in the mail. He looked that up too, <laughs> saw that it was the truth. Wow. And he wrote it down. He's like, okay, he's like, let me do the math. He turned off his microphone. He was calculating the days that I was without status. Oh my gosh. And if you have less than 180 days, you don't need a pardon. Right, right. I've heard, yeah. yes. So I was like in that point where I was like, close call. Oh my gosh. And, but my, my lawyer had sent a letter with me to Mexico explaining that I had, you know, less than those days, so I already knew. Yeah. And, and uh, I had the letter with me too in my documents, in my folder. And he says, all right, yeah, you have less than 150 days. And that's when he asked me again. He's like, you know, why was that reason? Yeah. It's the same thing. Because they switched their answers around in, like, a different format just to see if you mess up. Right. Like, oh, so just waiting for my renewal period. That's it. And my wallet got approved. And uh, he, the last question he asked me was, Okay, what is uh, what time does your husband get out? Because in that uh, paper that I had previously had that in, it had my husband's hours, and I it was from six uh, it was from nine till six in the morning, and I said, oh, I, I go pick him up like around six six thirty in the morning. Okay, that's all he said to me. He's like, okay, he wrote that down too. He checked once he was he's like, all right, I'm done with the interview. He's like, just give me a minute or two, and I'm gonna check. So he checked everything and I'm just sitting there for like a good two minutes, like standing at the booth because you can't even sit. It was like the two longest minutes of my life. Because <laughs> I'm like, he's just typing away. He's looking, he's looking at the continent, looking at his um, board that he had on the side, checking my dates again and my card. He hands me my cards. He's like, he's like, all right. He's like, welcome back home. <laughs> and I cried. As we are, and as I'm crying, and as people who may be listening are crying too, because oh my gosh, I'm still like at the edge of my seat, picturing everything that you're telling me in my head. Wow. <laughs> welcome home. Wow. He's like, he's like, welcome home back to the U.S. <laughs> and girl, I kid you not, as soon as he slipped that green piece of paper, I bolted out of there. <laughs> like, my mom would say, patitas pa' que las quiero. Vámonos antes de que, que no. <laughs> antes de like, never mind, come back. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. So I bolted out of there. Parecía Magdalena. Iba chillando. <laughs> my, husband, my husband, they can't, uh, U.S. citizens can't go into the interview over no. there. No, no way. It was you by it yourself? Yeah. Oh my gosh. And um, so he was waiting no. outside. He was waiting from like eight in the morning or like seven in the morning till like 12. This whole time it was just you. It was just me the whole time. Oh, I could never. Oh my gosh. Girl, <laughs> you went through a lot. And uh, so, like I said, I was, he was waiting for me outside. He was, his face, he was like already like about to explode. He was worried. <laughs> And uh, like I said, I'm just running through the crowd of people, you know, just <laughs> trying to find him. him. I find him and he's like, what happened? What happened? He's like, you know, he's just going like this. Like he couldn't even talk. <laughs> and uh, 
I just pulled out a piece of paper and I was like, I had proof. <laughs> we were crying there on the, on the sidewalk for like a good 10 minutes. And the good thing is that um, when I left, when I left for Juarez, I had already made reservations for um, Una Casa Huesped. So I had a lot of support from them. I had a lot of help from them. So I wasn't alone. I didn't feel, you know, like a lot of people were like, oh, like, I don't know where to go. Where to do this. I don't know what I'm doing. I had the orientation, you know, I prepared myself. Um, yeah. So it was also like another uh, group of people that went, went in there with me to the interview and had their own interviews. And um, they got approved. It was about 15 out of the 20 people that went in got approved. Other people had to wait like a few more months for, you know, like um, administrative process. Another one lady got fully denied for life. Wow. Because she, um, when she crossed in the 80s, she claimed to be a U.S. citizen and she crossed with a fake, you know, uh, permanent oh visit card. She, she crossed. And they her. know all of that? Well, I'm guessing if they stopped you for some reason. Yeah, she was stopped know. and she claimed to be a U.S. citizen and that was her big mistake. Wow. That's when she got denied for life. Oh my gosh, that is so scary. Oh my gosh. If you guys are still listening and hanging on with us as we're sharing these stories and as we're hearing about the tragedy of everything that people can go through during these processes, I hope you're not scared. I feel like if I'm sharing my tears and my like feelings over hearing this, it's everything put to words as far as like the expectation is unreal of what you can potentially go through in these types of settings. Everything you have ever wanted in a piece of paper and you have to go through these interviews, through these things to get that approval stamp, to get that notice saying, hey, like you said, welcome back to the US. Wow, wow, I can't even, I can't, I don't even know what else to say. Like 15 out of 20 people got approved. I mean, that's a good majority. But for those five, that was it. Like, oh my gosh, how sad. Yeah, well, no, like I said, uh, some of those people. Oh, mostly, we're probably waiting. They were waiting in the administrative process. And then, okay. you know, I didn't know. So there was hope. There was <laughs> At least hope. there's hope. The hope still continues. Yeah, I believe one of them was an old man, maybe like in his 50s. And he was asked for his autism certificate. So it's like, what the hell are you going to oh get? Oh, my that? God. <laughs> oh no wow oh I'm like that's been a long time ago (laughs) but no assuming he turned it in he found it somehow yeah all of this is is a lot to unpack and I know this story was a brief to everything that you encountered and faced and did so bringing it home bringing you home to the United States what was it like getting the paperwork in your hands? It was like 20 years worth of thing, you know, undocumented. And the nine out of those years having DACA, it was like, you know, like through this little paper that's not even this big, 
or a card, I mean plastic, um, it changes your whole life. You know, it's, I can't even begin to describe it. You know, people do look at you differently. <laughs> you look at yourself differently. It's like, oh, who am I? <laughs> no, that's one thing I promised myself to never be the type of people that are like, oh, yes, I can't tell you. Yeah, se me olvidó on this way. I'm not the type of person. And, uh, and that's but one- you do carry yourself different now. Like, it does mean so much to be a U.S. citizen now. And the struggle that you went through, the renewals that you've gone through, and to know I'm never going back to that, like the relief of that feeling. Did you experience well, it? Yeah, it's, it's a big relief. And that's tied to another story, actually. Um, like I mentioned, when we were going to get our, my passport stamped, um, because you don't pick it up right away, you have to wait a couple of days uh, in Juar- in Juarez or in your city to to get it in the mail. And uh, so when I went to pick it up, I went to pick it up to the place where I do my fingerprints, which is uh, it's known as El Cas, is the application center for for um, the foreigners, you know, asking for their passport. Mm-hmm. And so I went, I got it. That same day, I told the people at the house, I'm like, hey, I want to go get my passport stamp in Morris so I don't have issues with being stopped at the airport. Yeah. Losing my flight. Right. And uh, I went there and I got it. It was a waiting period, too, because um, they were doing swift uh, change shifts. I mean. Oh, okay. And so we got there maybe like around 1130. And they were changing shifts. The new people were coming in. And all I remember hearing on the radio, because again, it's an open place. Like there's really no, no pri- privacy. No privacy there. And uh, we're walking through the bridge. All you see is this fucking wall. So now to know that like, I'm walking through this bridge that many other people want that opportunity. It didn't feel real, and it still doesn't feel real. Uh, and my husband was with me, and I said, because of that fucking wall, there's a lot of people dying in that river. And we can hear you and I are with his piece of plastic that says, "You can go back and forth." And we get stopped because there's a little small checkpoint through the bridge. And uh, they asked what we were going there for, this and that. So we're like, we're gonna go get my passport stamped. Um, just recently got approved for my green card. And so they're like, all right, you guys can go ahead. And I was so easily being able to walk through those bridges. We get to the main facility. And like I said, there was no privacy in that facility. So the officer, CDB officer stops me and he's, she's like, oh, she's like, uh, where are you guys going? And I'm like, oh, I just need to get, you know, again, the same thing, get my passport stamped. It's like, okay, you know, just go through these doors and sit in line um, in those chairs and just wait in line. Okay, we do that. Um, we're waiting there for about 15, 20 minutes when I see the the van from where I was staying at pull up again and he's they're dropping off like two more people to get the passport stamped 
And um, it was another DACA recipient, a guy that was there, one of the people. He thought it was a good idea to skip the line. The and just go through? Yeah, and the officer saw that. And he's like, where's the passport? You know, he hands him his passport. And he's like, here in this place, we don't cut lines. We respect the lines that are here. He's like, just like, you know, coming illegally to the country, right? Oh he gosh. takes his passport that had just been picked up. He takes his passport and he says, you no longer have a visa. You need to respect the rules. No way. Yeah, for cutting the line. And that's okay? Hey, they, it's, they do what they want to do, you know? They're the ones who have the last word when you get stamped. Oh my gosh. He says, I will not stamp your passport. You no longer have a visa. Hence why you need a lawyer because you've run into issues like this that need to be on standby for whatever things can happen when you're on the other side of the country. Yeah, what I think happened is because there were two other girls that were behind me and my husband Mm -hmm. and uh, they were waiting for their passports back because they crossed into Mexico by accident and they were on a student visa. Oh, no. They were on a student visa. They were from England. Oh, wow. I think they were the ones that complained to the, because we didn't say anything. We knew who the guy was because he was at the same place we were. Yeah. And so they were the ones that complained to the officer, hey, this guy skipped the line. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That is so nerve wracking. He said, you no longer have to be. So he's like, you need to respect the rules of this facility. He said, this is a U.S. government facility. And here we don't cross lines. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So you got to, like, walk straight and, like, hold your breath, pray, and hope that everything goes well. Because I've heard and I've, I've experienced this at checkpoints myself, like, the officers, the officers themselves, either they're really nice or they want to give you a hard time. And depending on the officers that you get, even during your interview, is a deciding factor of you being here or you being somewhere else. That is so, so freaky. Yeah. And then, um, so me and my husband just look at each other in shock, you know, like now we're even more shitting bricks again. Yeah. Uh, so... And then this whole time this is going on, they pull a truck driver off the side of the truck route because they found two people inside. Oh no. So that that truck driver lost his commercial license and lost his visa on the spot. And the truck driver, all you hear him is claiming, like, hey, I did not know those two people got in my trailer. I you know, trying yeah. to, I don't know if it was true or not, you know, only he knew, but he yeah. was saying, like, these two guys got in my trailer, and I wasn't aware of it when that happened. Wow. He still lost his passport, and pretty much the same thing. Uh, yeah, and he was arrested. He was sitting there behind the plexiglass, as you can see under the plexiglass. And yeah, he was just there in handcuffs, waiting for to whatever was going to happen. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think they were just waiting for the 
the Mexican immigration officers to cross because they're right across from, you know, like the going back and forth. So they were yeah. really waiting for the officers to cross over to go get them. And um, so many things in such a little time that you experienced. Yeah big life-changing experiences knowing what you could achieve but also what you could lose if you just did a wrong move like literally you're like quicksand like don't move don't do anything because you're gonna sink from the interview to even going through uh, getting a stamp you're on edge trying to like not do anything wrong yeah, but I said, don't be stupid, you know, that's it. And then, um, you know, like I said, that, that thing happens with them too. And then not even five minutes after we get called, because it was our turn, I handed my passport and it was the same officer again. So he's oh, like, all right, he's gosh. like, I'm going to, he's like, I'm going to take a look at your passport. He's like, um, just sit back and I'll be back with you, you know. 10 15 minutes okay and then everything you know was a blur and they bring in this family and i still i still hard remembering this uh it was it was a mom and a dad and the little kid, maybe about five, six years old. And I hit home because I was that age when they brought me here. And all I hear is the dad, because he was in handcuffs, and he, his hand was bloody. You can see his shirt was bloody. So he got cut somewhere. And uh, he was wrapped up in bandages. And he was arrested. He had like the front um, handcuffs, yeah. Yeah. And he's down on his knees begging his wife for forgiveness for bringing him into the Yeah. He says, Perdóname, perdóname. Es mi culpa, perdóname. And she's in shock. She's, she's just sitting there, not even looking at him probably not even looking, looking through the building, you know, she's in shock from everything that's going on. And the little girl, she had her on her um, shoulder. It it looked like she was sleeping. I want to assume she was sleeping, you know? Yeah. And all she says, I wouldn't have brought you guys through this, this manera. And she was just not responding she was motionless and la niña like no se movía like just you know I thought she was dead but deep down I was like no no let that not be true let her just be sleeping oh my gosh and they get escorted through the front so all of us could see them no like a display. Exactly. No. And the lady's just carrying her daughter on her shoulders. The little oh girl gosh. did it. Did it move? Like oh no. my gosh. 
So oh. I, I had to like physically get up and walk out of the building. I told my husband, I was like, if they call my name, just go get up with my passport. I'm like, I'm not staying. I can't you see. Can't. Yeah. And I can't see this. I'm like, let's hit home because I was once like her age. Yeah. And I'm like, I couldn't believe. And then we went back, you know, get a passport stamped, went back to the house. The next day, we had to do the whole thing again because we were getting ready to leave to Chicago. So we crossed to that same bridge all over again. But now it was, like I said, a different feeling because they look at you different once you got your green card. They actually greet you this time. No, you felt the difference, like... There was a, a positive difference. difference. There was a difference. No way. Yeah, like she greeted me. She's like, oh, welcome home. She's like, yeah, I'm just going to scan your passport and put your luggage through here. And she's like, have a safe trip home. Wow. And I'm like, el descaro de esta, you know, better terms. Yeah. Esta persona. The privilege that is privilege for you. And the fact that we're all human and the fact that that lady with her daughter, with her husband, are people. We're all people. Like, why? Why is that necessary? Not just that, but, you know, all those people that die in the desierto, they don't get a second chance. Sometimes they don't even listen home. <laughs> A moment of silence for all those people that have lost a family member, that have lost a friend, that don't know the whereabouts of their family when they crossed, when they try to come here to pursue a better life, for all of those that attempted and haven't made the dream. It's hard. And I had no idea <laughs> we were going to end in tears. I'm in tears. I'm in complete tears. And it's a lot to unpack. And you were a first hand witness to everything that you related. And that is a lot. And talking about it makes it easier to cope with it because it happened and sharing with it it creates again we're creating that open space to know like hey you can go through so many things but hey it's gonna be okay I think through your experience and through sharing everything that you went through you're providing a positive example of like I know it went through I went through all this it was difficult emotionally physically in all types of ways mentally but you're here, you're on the other side and keeping that as the focus and keeping positive through all of this, a lot of what you shared is hard to grasp and hard to put into words and just being brave to talk about it and sharing with an audience, people that are listening to this story and to all the stories that you shared, you're speaking up for those people that didn't get that second chance. You're speaking up for those people that didn't get the chance to come home and that's brave thank you so much 
for wanting to be here, for wanting to share this space with me because you were like, hey, I would love to share my story. And I could not ever thank you enough for wanting to share the space with me. It means a lot. Yeah, and uh, oh, another thing I wanted to add was um, when I was younger, I want to say maybe like 10, 12 years old, there was um, an immigrant march here in one of the parks. And uh, my parents decided to go, you know, just to see what it was about. And I went along with them. This was before my brother was even born. And um, what I remember is these kids, this family, I should say, because it was a mom and dad, two kids, and um, maybe like a seven-month-old. It was a white family. I remember that clearly. They started gathering around the park as well, the anti-immigrants, you know, the minimum and all that. They started picking up rocks and throwing them at us. No. And all I remember seeing this grown ass man handing his son a rock and saying, throw it at him. They're not welcome here. They should go back to their country. Teaching their children racism because we're not legal here or because of our skin color looking different or because of our accent being different, you know? It was like, why are you teaching your son? Hate. That? Hate. Yeah. And same thing goes for the mother because it was a boy and a girl and uh, I want to say it was the, the seven, eight month old was probably another boy. Uh, I don't remember that, but I do remember the, the, the daughter looking back at the mother saying, Mom, like, who are these people? Do we know them? She didn't answer. They just kept throwing rocks. Kind of like for the kids, you know, it was a game. But it was a game that was teaching racism. And I hate and discrimination and at such a young age when I'm telling you the first five years of your life define who you are as a grown-up I cannot even imagine how to go through life learning that so young and we are the way we are we're here we're facing these things because of people being taught those things early on in their house and that is unsettling yeah. And, you know, it's like I, I said, because now even my, my stepfather has that opportunity and he's going through the process as well through his daughter. Um, and I said to him, I said, yeah, I said, when you go to war, it's obviously, you know, he knows that things have changed. They don't stay the same. But I said, you'll notice the difference when you cross back through that freaking bridge, how they're going to treat you. Wow. I said, you'll know the difference. That is something that you can't even put into words. And as you're telling me, I had never thought about that. I had never thought 
how perception would change with just a card. And if you think DACA changes your perception, I think people are still, people are, you know, because we have DACA or we had DACA, you had DACA in your case, you already had that sense of privilege that other kids like us who may not be in the program. Yeah, you know, like a lot of, I, I get what you're saying, you know, it's, um, it's like a lot of those other kids, you know, think that just because you have DACA, they assume that you think that you're better than them when it's not the case. Oh. And that's what's also wrong, you know, within our community. It's like sometimes just because we have a green card and we get our citizenship or we have DACA doesn't mean we're going to change who we are. It don't group us with that group of people that actually do change who they are once they get their shit fixed. Right. You know, we're not all the same. So why should we be grouped the same? The same. But it's crazy how the people treat you different depending on the status. Like that is so crazy, but it sounds too real. Like I, 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 I can see that happening and I don't know. Moving forward, yeah. yeah, I was not ready. When you said this year was a big year and you started that off, I was like, okay, you know, we'll see. I was not ready. If I said, oh, she wasn't ready, that applies to me right now. I don't think I was ready. My emotions are through the roof even right now. It's a lot that you went through and you made it through. Yeah, because this year was actually my renewal year. And like I said, we had applied for for the renewal as well just recently in april so this was even before we got the, the news yeah so we're like uh what happens now you know because yeah because you have two processes essentially because i'm like i have the cream card now in my because it was mailed to me in my house and i'm like i have it with me i'm like but what happens with this process yeah so so all together how long did it take from start to finish on your green card process well it took about three years that was on the short end that was because of COVID. no way that was on the short end yeah oh my goodness that was because of covid otherwise we my husband and i think that we would have been done in 2020 as well yeah. Because that's when the consulate closed down. So they weren't given anymore. Right. Anymore. All the processes delayed. And even right now, there's a backlog of so many things. And yeah, processes. I've heard, you know, green card um, processes take about two years marrying or going through your spouse. Mm-hmm. And right now, because of COVID, it could be a little extended because of everything that, you know, is delayed in the process. So, wow. So as we're closing on your episode and as we're bringing everything full circle and and people are hanging on, you know, with us here as you're sharing your experience, what is your best advice? Given everything you've been through, what do you want to leave us off with? My best advice would be don't let your DACA collapse if it's within your control. Um, Don't let others tell you what you should do with your process in the sense of if you got the chance to apply for events parole do it don't be like oh what if they they say no what if they say that 
yeah, they say no, guess what? Your your application gets canceled. You might not get your money back, but you don't lose any other thing aside from your money. And whoever tells you that DACA was not necessary is completely wrong, obviously. We know that. And don't let DACA get in the way of your dreams because having it is a big opportunity. Don't let the renewal get in your uh, waiting period get in your dreams. And for those that already have the process started a green card is, keep it going. Don't let your case close because it'll be a bitch to reopen. And to those that are coming back from Juarez, you'll see the big change. You'll see the big change when you get back. Wow. A lot to process because we have three different categories here and three different settings and examples and stories from like your your immigration story, your coming to America story for the first time as a six-year-old. You're transitioning to a new place where you're now calling home, growing up, adjusting, learning, unlearning, to leaving back and then making your way back home. Like that was just a huge, huge story that I'm like, I couldn't, I wasn't even aware of this is what we were going to talk about. And this is it. Like, wow, I am out of words. And thank you for being open and honest about your journey. Thank you so much for your advice, for your transparency, because again, the details, I'm just like, I'm still like shaking from everything because I'm processing as I go. And as if anybody else listening has a similar story, went through something like this, hasn't been able to open up about it because opening up about it can be difficult to even like make your brain grasp what you went through and understand that we are people all in all, regardless of our color, regardless of our our features regardless of our gender we're all human beings who all deserve love respect the basic human rights and to know that a lot of people because of our status a simple card a simple where were you born can define how you are treated throughout life that's hard to unwrap and as we shared this I hope you note this is Mari's story and we're sharing it if you identified yourself in any part of it as a DACA recipient as a a youth that maybe you didn't qualify for DACA there is a lot of hope still for a lot of us coming through with these pending bills we talked about it at the beginning of the episode so many things can happen so just hang on tight be positive in the midst of all the chaos, stay true to who you are. And I think um, we're all in this together. Don't you agree? I more than agree. You know, <laughs> it's, it's reality, you know? Yeah. We're this all- is the reality for a lot of us, not just you. And I think that my 
goals in sharing stories like this and in having this podcast and this DACA series is to create that connection. If you're listening and you related to some part of this story, if you were overwhelmed with emotions as we were, just know you're not the only one. It hit me so hard. I was crying in tears and I have boogers all over me. (laughs) It was a lot. So, wow. Beautiful story, Mari. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for spending this time with me. Um, Thank you for everything. Any big plans happening? (laughs) Now that you are in this situation, now you're back in Chicago. Uh, You know, what are you looking forward to now? Well, definitely what I'm looking forward is not having to pay $495 every two years. (laughs) That's a big money favor. Yes. But I think overall it's now that um, having that opportunity that, you know, that I've been working for for 20 years and that, like I said, other people have been, you know, wanting that same thing. Now it's time for me to go back to school, enroll back in college, um, keep working, saving my money, you know, like everybody else. But I think overall, for me, my big passion is helping others. I still to this day help other people with their DACA renewals. Um, I go on the USCIS website and try to update myself. You know, I'm no lawyer, but I try to update myself on the guidelines, on the rules. Just Keeping help. up with everything that changes by the minute. I mm-hmm. think they just released a new announcement on their website from changes and kind of explaining. And there's an FAQ page now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I still have people in my house that are, my family, that are in that situation. So it's still close to me, you know. And two, I'm just not the type of person that's going to turn your back on somebody that says, hey, I need help. You've been through the process. Can I get your opinion? Yeah, and it's, it's that opportunity of paying it forward and just sharing your experience and I think that speaks volumes as it is because a lot of people like me don't know and we're just so curious like what to expect how does it work from people that have gone through the process because you despite of everything you went through you're here and you made it out okay and sometimes I'm telling you the fear is what stops you from doing so many things and the fear of the unknown but in talking and sharing you're like, okay, I can get through this. You prepare yourself for things that you're like, okay, I know how to handle this. I know how to handle that. And it's through sharing your experience that makes it okay for other people, not only to ask and approach you and question, but also be reassured. This person went through it. She's okay. I'm going to go through it. And I'm also going to be okay. You know, staying positive. Yeah. Because, um, my parents were actually afraid when first uh, we first found out about advanced parole. They were afraid of, you know, like you said, well, the what ifs, like what if you don't come back? What if this happens? And um, it stopped, the fear stopped them for applying for me. And I was the opposite. I was like, yeah, let me go. Let yeah. me do this. But obviously I was under their roof. So they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and so then you know my grandparents passed away so basically like the only two reasons that I had to even get advanced parole were pretty much gone at that point and we were already on the process for the immigration interview so we were kind of like yeah we might just not want to do advanced parole at all either for that reason and it ended up working out okay yeah 
And as we were breaking down these options, it is always good to note that there's options, even with DACA and even other uh, different bills coming through, there's options. So explore every option that you have. Ever talk to a lawyer, get yourself, uh, you know, advised and talk to someone that knows, like a professional that can assist you with options that you may have available to you to adjust your status if possible. Because, you know, just being open to knowing and learning, you may be surprised at the opportunities that can come to you if you just ask. So we do, you know, encourage that. And um, before we end the episode and, and end it on a happy note and, and congratulations to you on this huge, huge, huge accomplishment because it was a whole journey and, and it's the climb. I'm going to break out in song from like Miley Cyrus. It's the climb, you know, like you made it through and uh, that can, I can see that in the background of like every single thing you talked about. That was, that was it. The song was like perfect for it. So as we're closing to an end and we thank everyone who listened to this episode, thank you so much for being here with us sharing the space. I hope that you felt you were part of the room. Um, and I am so super grateful for this opportunity. Mari, thank you so much for sharing the space with me and, and being part of this DACA series and the podcast. Uh, looking forward to hearing from you again and um, wishing you the best of luck with everything and all the projects that you move forward with in life. Yeah, no, it was uh, certainly a pleasure, you know, to talk to you and reach out to you in that um, video. I forgot what it was, but um, it was definitely worth it, you know? Yeah, thank out you. There. Because like, like you said, in one of your past episodes, you know, there's not a lot of people discussing it. And sometimes, um, you know, I want to get to listen to other people's stories and, you know, just make new friends that yeah. way. Yeah, make connections. Yeah. Make uh, you know, even just hearing about somebody else talking about something that maybe you are not able to talk about or you're not able to speak on, but listening to people go through these experiences are, they impact us. They impacted me today for sure. Like I am just like in awe of your journey and everything you endured. And I'm just excited for anybody else who's going through the green card process. It's a different experience for everyone that I've heard of you know, there's different experiences, there's different things happening. I hope everybody also gets to have a positive outcome and a better experience <laughs> from what Mari shared, because it was, it was, it could have been very overwhelming, um, as I, I felt throughout her story. But yeah, before I let you go, Mari, um, are you okay with sharing your social media platforms? Where can we find more information from you if you are willing to connect with anybody listening to us today, anybody that is interested in, in connecting with you? Is that something that you would be able to do? Yeah, you know, if anyone has any questions, they can always reach me at uh, my TikTok. I have uh, one call that's called Immigration Updates, and it has like the Dreamer logo, and it says underneath Dreamers Welcome. You can always message me there. Oh, great. Awesome. Thank you so much. And as everyone who's uh, joining us on this episode, um, I'll be sharing more information on Mari as well on the Instagram page. Um, you'll get to hear more about Mari and kind of doing a little bit more on um, 
uh, behind the scenes uh, content. So check out the Instagram page and you will also see Mari tagged on there on her TikTok. So you can get that information on there as well. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for sharing this space. Uh, Stay in tune for new episodes coming up. Uh, We have an episode on Sunday for a storytime series, more DACA series episodes to come. Mari, thank you so much for being an amazing guest. Thank you everyone for listening. And with that, I wish you guys a really awesome and amazing night. Good night, everyone. Bye.